So uh, we are, uh, last week was supposed to be our final class on the life of Christ, but we didn't quite finish. But that's okay because this works out perfectly. And so uh, we're going to do sort of part two of uh, last week's lesson. And then just a reminder again, uh, I will be at another congregation next Wednesday uh, speaking at their summer series. And so Wes is going to cover for me in here. And he'll bring in his teenagers and uh, cover his class. And then after that, uh, two weeks from tonight, we'll start a brand new uh, series here in the uh, auditorium class. And so I'm looking forward to that. But again, we're just going to go ahead and finish out uh, this, uh, this 129 <laughs> lesson series. I guess it's 130 now because we're expanding this one into a part two. Uh, but uh, we, uh, again, just a way of reminder, we've been really for the past couple months speaking uh, uh, or looking at the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus. And we've gone through them one by one. And again, uh, you know, I, I told you, I, I told you uh, every time we've had this class that we were going to continue to repeat those so that we would uh, have this locked in our mind. Uh, but we recall that on the day Jesus resurrects, he first appears to Mary Magdalene. Uh, then he uh, secondly appears to the other women uh, on the way to, to the tomb, then he appears to Peter, uh, then he appears to Cleopas and the other disciples, and then finally, uh, that fifth appearance was uh, on that Sunday was to the apostles, uh, except for Thomas. Right? And so uh, all of that took place on that resurrection Sunday. A week later, uh, he appears to the, the apostles again, but this time with Thomas there. And then we looked at the seventh appearance was when uh, those seven apostles were out fishing uh, in the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus, remember, he uh, asked them, have they caught anything? And they said no. And then he gives them, gives them that miracle where they catch all those fish. And then the eighth appearance uh, we did a couple of weeks ago was the, the Great Commission. Right? Uh, uh, the, the curriculum kind of put this together with those 500 brethren at one time. Uh, that Jesus appeared to. Again, we don't know for sure that it was this specific appearance, but it does make sense that it would be uh, where Jesus is on that mountain in Galilee and he gives the great commission. Again, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. And then last week we talked about appearance number nine, which was to James. Again, uh, we don't know very much, uh, well, nothing at all of what happened to this at this appearance. We just know that he appeared to James and we Again, we talked about how James was the brother of Jesus, and he went on to be a pillar in the church, even though James and the other brothers didn't believe Jesus uh, while he was uh, on the earth in, during his earthly ministry, while Jesus was going around saying uh, you know, that he was the Messiah. The, his brothers did not believe him, but it's evident through Scripture that uh, after Jesus uh, arises from the dead that they do believe. Because right? James, again, is going to be an important person in the church. Uh, he's going to write his letter, the, uh, uh, the letter of James. Uh, Jude's going to write a letter, too. So it's apparent that the, the brothers uh, became believers after the fact. Uh, and then we talked about appearance number 10, uh, the last one, which was, again, with the apostles there. But remember, uh, they were up in Galilee where Jesus told them to meet, but now they're back in Jerusalem. They're back in Jerusalem for one last time. It's been 40 days. Uh, we know that. We know it's been 40 days since his resurrection. Uh, he wants them back in Jerusalem. Again, this was significant because uh, this was prophesied to happen, right? That, that uh, the church was going to 
uh, begin there in Jerusalem. And so that's why Jesus wants them there. And sort of an interesting uh, way to remember this is uh, of that prophecy is Daniel 2, Joel chapter 2, Isaiah chapter 2, and it all takes place in Acts chapter 2. So if you can remember that, Isaiah 2, Daniel 2, Joel 2, uh, in the Old Testament, you can read about those prophecies of the, the church being established in Acts chapter 2. So just a kind of an easy way to remember that. Uh, but we saw that in this last meeting, uh, he's preparing the, the apostles for, uh, again, for the coming of the kingdom. He's still teaching about the kingdom. And again, he tells them to stay here in Jerusalem for the promise of my father. And again, what was that promise that, was, that they were going to receive there in Jerusalem? Yeah, the, the Holy Spirit. Right? Again, that's going to take place there in Acts chapter 2. And he says to them, you're going to be clothed with power from on high. But we still made the point that it still did not seem, uh, after all of these appearances, that the, that the apostles got it. That they fully understood that. Because they still asked Jesus... Is it at this time, Lord, is it at this time you're going to restore the kingdom, uh, or, yeah, restore the kingdom to Israel? And again, they were still thinking physically, right, uh, that, that Jesus was still going to uh, somehow, you know, overthrow the Roman government. He was still going to rally the troops. Uh, but again, uh, that's not going to happen because what we're going to read here in a moment, uh, Jesus is going to what? Yeah, he's going to ascend on high, right? And he's going to go, go to heaven. And so that's, that's really what we're going to study here this evening as we uh, conclude this study. And so, again, we've completed these 10 post-resurrection appearances of Jesus. And if, essentially, we've read, uh, really, we've read every single verse uh, in the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, except for a few. And, uh, you know, you just think about that. That's... Roughly 47% of the New Testament we've covered uh, in this year and a half study. Uh, you know, so much uh, is in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And again, we're just going to key in on a couple of verses we have yet to read. Uh, but they are going to connect the Gospel accounts to the beginning of the book of Acts. As here, Jesus is going to ascend into heaven. So let's start in Mark 16. We're going to look in a couple of different places tonight, but we'll start in Mark 16. Uh, Mark just has one verse for us, uh, verse 19, uh, when it comes to the ascension. Mark 16, verse 19. So, so then, when the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. You know, that, that's Mark, right? Mark's gospel is very direct, very to the point, uh, the shortest of all of them. And again, he gives us the shortest amount of information here that, uh, that he was received up into heaven and he sat down at the right hand of God. Now, uh, what does that imagery there, uh, what does that statement there uh, give us an idea about? I mean, what does that mean, that he, uh, that he sat down at the right hand of God? Okay, he was back in heaven. Yeah. <clears throat> he basically, the first thing popped up, the second parable of all, 
you know, all powerful, whatever you want to use, set it down there for right hand of God. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Oh. The Godhead? Yeah. yeah what, what, what's the idea of sitting, you think? What, what, what is, why is Jesus sitting at the right hand of God? Not standing at the right hand of God, but he's sitting at the right hand of God. What do you think that emphasizes? Okay, he has all authority. Do you sit down maybe when you're, uh, you're done completing a task maybe? Yeah. He's uh, completed. Yeah, he's, he's finished with what he came to earth for, wasn't he? Yeah, he's completed that task. And now he's sitting. And not only is he sitting, but he's sitting at the right hand of God. And as Miss Helen mentioned, you know, that, that symbolizes authority, right? To be on someone's right hand. Uh, in Scripture is uh, pretty significant. Right? If you were on the right hand of a king, that's where you wanted to be. You didn't want to be on the left hand side. That, was, that wasn't as significant. So uh, to sit at the right hand of God, right, he, he uh, designates authority, power, honor, um, control. Yeah, and so... Uh, so that's the imagery we got, right? That he is now in heaven and he's sitting at the right hand of God. Uh, many scriptures in the New Testament actually, you know, point that out. That he, that's where he is now. He's sitting at the right hand of God. But let me ask this question. Does that mean that Jesus is officially done working? I mean, is he? No, it's that job done. Okay, yeah. So that job is done. But Jesus is still doing stuff right now, right? In heaven. Okay, yeah, so uh, after his resurrection, when he ascends to heaven, uh, he's going to have that interaction with Paul in Acts chapter 9. Yeah. Um, what, are, what are some things that Jesus is doing right now for the Christian? And I think Eddie just pointed one out. Uh, that, sorry? He's the mediator between us and God. Okay, yeah, he's, he's the mediator. And I think maybe you said interse- interceding for us. Yeah, prayers. Yeah, so um, obviously, uh, you know, his work on earth is done, but that doesn't mean he's no longer doing anything, right? He's, uh, in, he's in heaven. He's interce- interceding for the saints. Um, in the second phase, it's three parts. Third part coming back, so to speak. Yeah. Third part, we're setting it all up. Second part's working for us and helping us. And third part coming back to final judgment. Yeah, he's... Uh, uh, as we know, um, <clears throat> he's upholding all things. Uh, it's going to read Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, that talks about this. Uh, that um, he is the radiance of his, excuse me, and he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. Um, when he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Right? So we just want to make that point that, you know, although uh, he is now sitting at the right hand of God, that doesn't mean that he's no longer uh, working in our lives. Right? But, uh, but uh, if we were to finish that verse, uh, and this all comes from 
what David wrote in Psalm 110, verse 1. Uh, this, this verse here is the most used verse, most used verse from the Psalms in the New Testament. Uh, a lot of writers use this uh, verse to make their point, uh, where David said, The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. All right, so God said to Jesus, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. And so, you know, he's done that first part, right? Sit at my right hand, but uh, that second part in that verse, until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet, uh, what's he talking about there? Yeah, I think so, right? Because uh, there's going to be one last enemy that Jesus needs to defeat, right? And what, what is that enemy? Yeah, death, right? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm thinking along the lines of 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15, uh, verses 25 through 28, where Paul writes, For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet, and the last enemy that will be abolished is death. For he has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when he says all things are put in subjection, it is evident that he is expected uh, who put all things in subjection to him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself also will be subjected to the one who subjected all things to him, so that God may be all in all. all right, so yeah, death, right? That, that last enemy, uh, uh, that's going to be the last enemy that, uh, you know, that, that it's going to be that footstool, if you will, uh, for his feet. And again, as uh, Danny pointed out, you know, that's going to take place uh, at his second coming. And so all that being said, uh, for Mark chapter 16, verse 19, for that one verse, um, again, short and sweet, uh, the Lord Jesus had spoken to them and he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. Let's turn to Luke uh, 24, and we'll get uh, Luke's uh, two versions. Uh, again, Luke writes the Gospel of Luke, and he writes the book of Acts. And so uh, he's going to conclude with the idea of the ascension, and then he's going to begin the book of Acts with the ascension. And so we'll read both of these. Uh, but Luke chapter 24, starting in verse uh, 50. So it says, he led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they, after worshiping him, returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising God. And then let's turn to Acts chapter 1. And we'll just stay over here in Acts chapter 1, verses 9 and 12, or 9 through 12. So again, Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 9. And after he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky, while he was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. They also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? 
this Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. Okay, so, uh, you know, we talked about this last week, but again, they are back in Jerusalem for this event. Um, Luke and Acts, in the book of Acts, tell us that, you know, they're kind of in that range of out as far as Bethany, uh, near the Mount of Olives. So uh, we kind of get a general idea of where this ascension takes place. And, uh, and so if we kind of combine these two events, uh, we get Jesus, he lifted up his hands, he blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he departed from them. Right? He, was, he ascended, right? He was lifted up as, while they were looking on. And a cloud received him uh, out of their sight and being carried off into heaven. And then again, Mark tells us that he sat down at the right hand of God. So uh, put yourself in uh, their shoes that day. I mean, what's going through your mind as you see Jesus ascending into heaven? I mean, it says, it says in the Acts verse there, verse 10, that they were gazing intently into the sky. Um, are you in shock? Or, do you know what's going on? Is this an amazing event? It's hard for us to comprehend, but that also should make us realize just how all-powerful God is and that all things are possible through Him. It kind of kind of connects with uh, the sermons last Sunday morning, right? The, the Jesus being the ladder again, ascending, descending. Uh, that vision that Jacob had in the uh, of Jacob's ladder. But uh, so, anyways, Jesus ascends into heaven again. You know what does that look like? We don't know. You know, was it sort of like you know seeing one? You ever let a balloon go right outside and you just kind of watch it drift up into the air until it gets smaller and smaller so you can't see it. Uh, you know, again, uh, what would it have looked like? But while that's going on, who's right next to the apostles? Verse 10, two men in white clothing stood beside them. Who are they? Yeah, probably angels, right? Uh, often, you know, those angels... Uh, in the gospel accounts, depicted in, you know, the dazzling white, bright white clothing, right? And so what do they say to them? They say, uh, in the same way you're watching him ascend into heaven is what? Yeah, the same way you watch him ascend into heaven uh, is how he's going to return, right? And so uh, you're going to see him return uh, the same way just as you saw him leave. And, uh, now, obviously, um, was, you know, that statement that he made there, was that directed to the apostles directly? Like the, those apostles were going to directly see him return? Well, they didn't know, right? They didn't know. And obviously, uh, we understand that that hasn't happened yet, right? It's uh, been about 2,000 years since those events uh, took place. And so, obviously, that was a promise to, uh, you know, all of God's believers uh, that, that he's going to uh, again, us descend out of heaven uh, the same way that the apostles saw him ascend that day. 
And so, you know, as we sort of wrap these thoughts up, why is the ascension important to the Christian? Because, you know, we spend so much time talking about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And, of course, that's important, isn't it? Because that's the basis for uh, the gospel, that Jesus died, was buried, was resurrected. But it sort of overshadows the ascension, we don't talk about uh, the ascension as much, but why, why is the ascension important to the Christian? Yeah, he, he told them, right, that he had to go in order for the Holy Spirit to come, and that, yeah, and that he would return. Um, again, was, was this something that was uh, prophesied, that, that Jesus was going to ascend uh, to heaven? The, uh, the verse that we just read in Psalms 110, verse 1, you know, obviously that, that, you know, that lets us know again that, uh, you know, the Lord said to my Lord, uh, you know, sit at my right hand. And so obviously that, that paints the picture of him ascending to heaven to sit at God's right hand. But, you know, Jesus himself, didn't Jesus himself during his earthly ministry uh, tell the people that, hey, I'm going to go back to my father? Yeah, Jesus himself said that, right? And so uh, that's, that's prophecy, right? He predicted uh, what was going to take place or he was speaking what was going to take place. He announced it, and uh, he, he, told his, uh, he told his disciples that. He even told his enemies that. Uh, Matthew 26, verse 64, uh, when he is uh, before, <clears throat> before uh, uh, Caiaphas, uh, says, uh, You have said it yourself. Nevertheless, I tell you, hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Right, so um, the ascension is important because, number one, you know, he, it's prophesied that it was going to happen, and it did happen. And so uh, that, that makes sense to us. Number two, um, the ascension was uh, empowered by God. And this one's a little bit tougher to pick up. I uh, can't remember if this was in the curriculum or not, but uh, the, the five times in Scripture where it talks about Jesus being taken up. Uh, Mark 16, 19, that we just read, uh, Acts chapter 1, verse 2, verse 11, uh, verse 22, and then 1 Timothy three sixteen, which we haven't read that verse. But uh, those words, uh, those verbs in the Greek are passive verbs. Now, I, I was not a big fan of uh, English class, uh, but does anyone remember uh, what a passive verb meant or does? Nobody else is a big English fan either. <laughs> well, an active verb is, you know, you're doing something, right? Uh, uh, you are the one that's doing the, the action. But a passive verb, uh, the action's being performed to you. And so in those, those scriptures that talk about Jesus being taken up, uh, they are passive verbs, meaning the action's being done to him. So it's not him that, it's not Jesus that's ascending on high, but it's, of course, uh, who is 
Who's ascending Jesus on high? It's God, right. And so, um, again, you, if, we, uh, if, if the curriculum didn't point that out, or if uh, you know, we, we knew how to read Greek and, and that, you know, maybe we would have noticed those things. But, uh, again, that's just sort of fascinating to think about as well, uh, that, you know, that God was doing the taking up, right? that he was uh, taking him up. Um, the ascension is important because it's historically, uh, or it's historical reality. Uh, you know, we've already covered these, this, uh, this idea uh, back when we were talking about the, the body uh, in the tomb. But, you know, again, where, where's Jesus' body? Why was it never produced? Because it ascended on high, right? There, there was no body. Uh, there was no body stolen by his enemies. There was no body stolen by the disciples. Um, there was no body ever produced, right? And so uh, that, again, lays claim to the, re- the historical accuracy that Jesus ascended on high. Uh, and then finally, it's important because of the abiding significance, uh, again, that Jesus uh, is sitting at the right hand of God. We've already talked about this, but again, there's that idea of authority. Uh, God has given him all authority in heaven on earth. Uh, the, the lordship of Christ, if we want to think of it that way, right? He is the king uh, of, of his kingdom, and we are his subjects. And so, uh, as a king, we, we follow the king, right? And so, um, again, this, this authenticated the inspired word. Uh, as we just talked about, Jesus had to leave in order for the Holy Spirit to come and, uh, and to... Again, in Acts chapter 2, uh, to uh, uh, give that outpouring of the Holy Spirit to the apostles. Of course, the apostles used that to perform miracles. And what was the purpose of performing a miracle? It's to confirm what they were saying, right? Confirm that they're teaching God's word. Uh, and so the signs, the miracles that they performed... Uh, they were able to back up their teaching with that. And so, again, that, that authenticates that, you know, this is the inspired word of God, right? And uh, uh, this also um, is significant because of the nature of his kingdom. Again, they were looking for a physical kingdom, but Jesus ascending on high, going to heaven, uh, that doesn't look like a physical kingdom, does it? Because uh, he's not reigning down here, right? He, he's reigning in heaven, Again, yeah, we, we've, we've talked about that, I think, last week or maybe a couple of weeks ago, that um, they still needed that assurance, didn't they? And, yeah, and so, um, again, he, uh, he has ascended on high. Uh, again, this signifies the manner of his final return. And uh, it's our hope of heaven, isn't it? Uh, Hebrews... I was just studying this this morning, but Hebrews chapter 6, verse 20 says that uh, Jesus entered as a forerunner for us, uh, entered heaven as a forerunner. 
Right? He had to go to, to heaven first so that you and I would have that opportunity. Right? And so, again, there's another significant reason why the ascension uh, is important to the Christian. I think we have about five minutes left. I, I just wanted to uh, kind of wrap up this, again, this lesson, uh, talking about, uh, you know, again, <laughs> these 129 lessons. Uh, I don't know, uh, you know, if you were able to be at, at the majority of these, but, um, again, uh, over a year and a half we've been studying uh, the life of Christ from beginning until end. And what are, I just wanted to kind of get your feedback. What are some of the biggest takeaways uh, from this class, from these series of lessons that, you know, maybe you said, uh, you know, wow, I never thought of it that way. Or, um, you know, maybe something stood out to you uh, that as we were studying, uh, again, these four gospel accounts in chronological order, uh, was there something that, uh, you know, really stood out? Okay, yeah. Did it help to study Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John sort of all uh, aligned together instead of, you know, reading Matthew and then reading Mark and then Luke and John, but just to have all of them combined going from, you know, the beginning, from his birth until uh, his ascension? One of the things that I took away from that, you know, I... You know, I, I kind of enjoy uh, statistical stuff. And so, uh, you know, when, when you break up the, the life of Christ uh, into these, well, six sections, um, when, I, when I think of his life that way, I think of uh, number one uh, referred to as, you know, preparation. So basically from his birth until his baptism, preparing for his ministry. And then year number one and year number two and year number three and then uh, the last week of his life. Uh, the Passion Week, and then finally uh, those last 40 days. And, uh, and so breaking those verses down that way, uh, I noticed that uh, about 10%, right? About 10% of the gospel accounts is that preparation. And then another 10% is that first year. And then we got about 20% of that second year, uh, about 30% that third year, again, another 30% for... Uh, that final week of his life, and then just 4% for those final 40 days. But it just kind of shocked me when you look at those numbers that uh, almost a third of the gospel accounts have to do with that final week of his life, right? Those, that, that passion week, the, the seven days uh, from when he enters Jerusalem until uh, he, he um, is crucified on the cross, and that just sort of uh, amazed me that, you know, almost one-third of this series of lessons that we've studied revolve around that final week of his life. And so... Yeah. That was the pinnacle in many ways. So. Yeah. I mean, it was... I mean, if you, you know, when we do the Lord's Supper, what part of it was it contained in? It was in that part of it. And, I mean, that... I think I've mentioned this before, but, uh, you know, again, you know, we think about, you know, Jesus's childhood, 
You know, there's the few passages that talk about his birth. There's the one passage in Luke chapter 2 that talks about when he's 12 years old in the temple. Uh, when he, uh, when he uh, you know, gets away from his mom and dad and, he, you know, and he's staying there at the temple. And uh, that's all we have, isn't it? Do you think if, uh, if, if a man wrote the Gospels, if Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were just simply men, they weren't inspired of God, do you think they would have added more about his childhood? Yeah. You, you would also think that they talked among them themselves because the children at that time, they knew who it was. Yeah, I, I personally think that, you know... Um, you know, if, if Matthew was, you know, just a mere man, just writing uh, what he saw and he wasn't inspired by, by God to write these things, that he would have been including a lot more of Jesus' life, especially things early on. But, you know, as we pointed out, right, that the, the Holy Spirit, what he's revealing to us is, you know, really those things that matter. And that last week of his life is just, you know, so important. And... Uh, Yeah. Nothing about that other than they played the Yeah. Okay. yeah. Right. Well, I appreciate everybody. I appreciate this study. Uh, hopefully you gained some, um, some knowledge and some application into the life of Christ. And uh, look forward to our next study together.